Speaking of brands, boy, Syracuse basketball loves to keep it in the family. We have certainly seen this before. Uh, Buddy Bayheim, right? Did you know that Andy Routens is Leo Routens' son? Did you know that Brandon Trish is Howard Trish's nephew? And adding to the list, kind of out of nowhere. I didn't know how much he was on the radar. I can't recall if our friend Mike McAllister had told us about this in previous recruiting conversations. It certainly didn't ring a bell. Chaz Owens is added to the roster this year, by the way. He enrolled in school. He is at Syracuse, and he is a scholarship player. By the way, this isn't one of those, hey, he's going to walk on and, and give it a go. No, he has become a scholarship player for the Orange. He's a 6'5 freshman added to the 2020-2021 roster. The son of former Syracuse great Billy Owens, who we're going to have on the show tomorrow. We're scheduled to chat with Billy. And look... We're far enough away now that I think a lot of you know the name Billy Owens, but if you come from a younger generation and, and didn't experience Billy Owens, and I know I, I've been kind of that old man this week. I don't know, if you weren't around for Syracuse Georgetown under John Thompson, boy, you don't know. But Billy Owens is one of those roll-off-the-tongue greats at Syracuse that if you didn't see it, if you didn't experience it, I don't care how many YouTube videos you watch or how people like me that tell you about it. Oh, Billy Owens, let me tell you about a player. But, man, Billy Owens, Big East Player of the Year 1991, All-American, the free throws, as we know, in that famous John Thompson game that we mentioned, March 4th, 1990, Syracuse-Georgetown, but average 23.5 points per game. Left early, became the number 3 overall pick. I mean, just... And think of that run. You had Derek Coleman, number 1 overall pick. Billy Owens follows, number 3 overall pick. The hype of when Billy came in. And I hate to compare the two. You want to be fair. You want Chaz to kind of carve out his own legacy. But, you know, coming to Syracuse, it's it's going to put you in an obvious spotlight. And people are going to wonder what kind of player he is. And the comparisons are natural. So I can't wait. I talked to Billy a little bit off the air today. And you could tell just how relieved he was. He certainly knows what Chaz is walking into. He certainly knows the comparisons are going to be made. And something Billy said to me off the air today is like, I can't wait to tell you about what kind of player he is. He's going to work hard. He's going to earn his keep up there. But it was just interesting because I didn't know how much on the radar he was. So the natural question is, well, what kind of player is he? How good is he? Right, He spent last year at Scotland Campus Prep, that's in Pennsylvania, took a prep year after finishing his high school career at Shipley High School, that is in also in Pennsylvania. By the way, the Owens is believed to be the sixth father-son duo to play for Syracuse. I don't remember Bill and Dick Soprenowitz from 1948 to 51, but there you go. Of course, Leo and Andy, Vince and Vinnie Cohen. Back in the day, of course, Jim and Buddy Beheim, Adrian and Adrian Autry Jr., and uh, again, not father-son, but Brandon Trish and Howard Trish uh, related as well. So I can't wait to learn about Chaz. I wish I could sit here and tell you. I mean, Mike Waters wrote a great piece about him. You can read about it. That we'll talk to Billy on the show tomorrow, and you kind of go uh, search the internet. There's 
highlight videos everybody's got. A YouTube highlight clip. I watched it. Looks like a pretty impressive player. Wing player. But what's interesting to me is Mike writes here. He's expected to take the final scholarship spot on the team's 2020-21 roster. And I'm just looking at what Mike wrote about Chaz as a player here. 6'5 wing. As a senior, 2018-2019, he averaged 11.5 points, 8.2 rebounds per game at Shipley. And again, I'll let, you know, I can... You can watch the video. You can see what, it's it's only about a minute long. The one that Mike put in there, and they're highlight videos. So you have to you have to be careful about what you take from a highlight video. But if Jim Beheim, who is not just going to add a player to the roster because he's the son of a former player, if you're going to be on Jim Beheim's roster as a scholarship player, you you better be able to play. But he, to me, the word that comes up is, and I'm watching it again right now just to kind of get a sense of it, is Syracuse needs wing players, and he just looks to me to be a real upside kind of player. The raw skills are there. He just, uh, I'm watching here. He had a nice drive in, can dunk from the wing. He's a good shooter. He just looks to have a good base, good fundamentals. I don't think he's going to crack the lineup this year. I don't think he's going to be an impact player anytime soon, but... The way Billy described his work ethic, the, how he's willing to prove himself. And look, if you're willing to come to Syracuse, knowing the comparisons that are going to be there, I like that he's willing to take on that challenge. There's something different about that, which we've talked to Andy Routens about. We've talked to Brandon Trish about. Buddy Bayheim discusses all the time. And Buddy's one of the best players in the ACC now. you got to put in the work. you got to have the skills. So very interesting news there. Can't wait to talk to Billy Owens about it tomorrow. Another thing I wanted to note on the college hoops front, John Rothstein of CBS discussed this. So what he is hearing, and I'll pull up his tweet to quote him accurately here, the Men's and Women's Basketball Oversight Committee will propose a start date of November 25th to the Division I Council for the 2020-21 college basketball season. He also says the committee will propose no scrimmages and exhibitions to the Division I Council due to the health and safety reasons related to COVID-19. So we talked to Jim Beheim about this the other day. I should pull up the clip and, and play it back. But that window from Thanksgiving until middle January, there's a real opportunity there to play a lot of games. Dan Gavitt, said that he's going to announce his recommendation of what college basketball should do, he said mid-September. So that's right around the corner. They're following football. They're monitoring things. You have to be willing to adapt and to change. But from Thanksgiving until mid-January, when most campuses are not going to have a regular student population on campus, that's as close to a bubble as you can get in college hoops. And they are discussing literal bubbles. The NCAA trademarked the phrase battle in the bubble. Rest assured, they're playing the tournament in 2021. They're going to play the tournament in a bubble-like format. Okay, that's I'm not reporting that. That's just common sense, right? They've discussed it. They're looking into it. They've got to play that tournament. It's it it's this is how fast and how far we've come in just a few months. We're now expecting major events. 
to be in some sort of bubble format, right? Because it works. The NBA, the National Hockey League, MLS, you name it, it works. He's on the beat, Syracuse.com. Follow him on social media, just to flip his name around, at MinkNate. For all the latest on Syracuse football, a pleasure, as always, to be joined by Nate Mink on the block, ESPN Radio. Nate, how are you, sir? Doing well, Brent. It's been a, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. It's always good to hear your voice. And uh, we, we were doing some planning for some football-type things that are going to be coming your way via Syracuse.com, and... We, we scheduled a meeting. I was like, wow, when's the last time we did one of those, right? It's like we, maybe we're getting back to normal. It's September. Football's here. We're doing meetings again. It's The world is, is tilting towards whatever normal could be these days, I guess. So that that's a good thing. Well, I got a, I got a rack of baby back ribs that I'm going to throw on oh, the grill uh, when I'm done with this. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're not maybe not doing a lot of tailgating this fall, so got to got to make up for that somewhere, I guess. Now – how do, are we talking? Do you, do you smoke the ribs? Are we are we talking indirect heat? Or you just throw them on there, cook them, and, and pull them off? What's your rib strategy? I uh, do not have the Traeger, so uh, we'll not be messing around with any smokers yet. Um, I don't want to. I'm probably an embarrassment to like half your audience when I say <laughs> my plan is probably just to to throw them on the grill and hope for the best. Unless oh, someone wants to tweet at me or email me or get a hold of me in some other way and uh, and save this epic disaster from, from happening. I can give you some tips, Nate. Now, I don't know if you can do this tonight, but what I usually, I actually bought a rib rack. It's a, it's a rack, you, it, so it keeps the ribs directly off the grill. I set it for 400, but indirect heat, right? So you put the ribs on the back of the grill where there is not, the burner is is off, right? But the front two burners are on, hour and a half, go from there. Paulie Sibilia is joining me in studio right now. I believe he also has some <laughs> advice for you as well. Microphone just broke right off my Nice head. work, pal. You come in to give Nate some uh, some cooking advice and you're breaking stuff. I can't hear him either. Is it charcoal? Oh, yeah, charcoal it's, or uh, gas? It's yeah. gas. It's gas. That's awesome. I, I, uh, Trust me, I am I am minimal. Yeah, you're here. just you're just losing on all fronts here. Yeah, use yeah. the use don't use all the burners. Right. So you separate the burners and use the top rack of the of the grill. Do you have a top rack? I can do that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I can do that. Yeah. So do if you that. have enough propane, yeah, use the top rack, indirect heat, hour and a half. Only apply the barbecue sauce in the last ten minutes. That's fake well, news. Well, yeah, we definitely don't want to. We don't want to make it. We, we don't, don't want to cause fire. Exactly. Yeah. We don't, and you don't want. You want a little char on it. You got to go earlier than that. No, it's you only just keeps twenty slattering. minutes. How keep, long do you? you how adding. long do you put the barbecue sauce on? I only do it the last start, twenty minutes. I let it soak in it before I put it on the grill, and then it goes on the grill, and then you keep adding more. You're doing it all wrong. You're do, don't listen to Paulie. Nate. No, I'm a don't, man. Don't listen. Don't listen to Paulie over here. Just the last twenty minutes, a slight glaze, and then you can put as much as you want on afterwards. Okay. All right. Are you writing all this down? This grill. is important so we got, stuff. We got like what, we got like two minutes left in this session. I know. I got, <laughs> but this is important. If you didn't write it down, it will be available on demand on iTunes That's and. And on ESPNSyracuse.com. All right, go away. Paulie yeah, Sibilia. We will not be on Twitch uh, <laughs> while I grill. 
<laughs> so, uh, before you uh, go try that grand experiment from all the mixed messages of advice you just got, uh, you just brought it up. The home experience is going to be different. No tailgating, uh, certainly, or a limited capacity if they get to that down the road. But I was fascinated, Nate, to see that the ACC said that uh, artificial noise is allowed. Do we know what the parameters of this artificial noise are, is my question. I I don't know if we know the parameters yet uh, for that, Brent. Um, certainly, I don't think they're going to be wanting, uh, you know, the decibel level, you know, up over two, 200 or so, 200, 250 uh, playing music or artificial crowd noise or anything like that when they're when they're playing the game, um, you know, certainly for the, of course, <laughs> you know, the, for the fans watching, I would imagine uh, you're going to maybe see some artificial noise uh, pumped into the broadcast, like you've seen with, with some of the other pro sports that have returned already up to this point. Um, but I really think, you know, they will try to have some type of ambiance through the speakers in the stadium. So it's not just, dead silence and uh, coaching signals and uh, officials' whistles, electronic or, or regular, whatever they're going to choose to use. I would imagine they're going to go electronic whistles. They just try to create some kind of jumpy atmosphere for the guys to try to make it as normal as normal can possibly look like in 2020. Nate, uh, you did an overview today of the 11 opponents that Syracuse is scheduled to face. And i got to be honest, I mean, this changes on a daily basis, but the closer we get here and the more we're seeing some things play out, my confidence level grows that they're going to play most, if not all, of these games. There's always you got to leave a window open for some sort of interruption. It could happen to an opponent that could affect Syracuse's games. But as you went through those opponents we certainly know about the Clemsons and the Notre Dames of the world, but what are what were the things that jumped out to you that maybe are not right there, the obvious things about Syracuse's schedule that were interesting to you? Uh, good question. I, I, you know, every game is going to be a grind. You know, when you go, when you go 10 league games, um, and, you know, you can what I, say what you want about the ACC relative to, to some of the other leagues nationally, but you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, this is this is still 10 conference games. You're, you're not going to have, you know, games against the Mid-American Conference or, you know, an FCS opponent that kind of gives you a, a proverbial break or two in the middle of the season. You know, you're getting, you know, Power 5 football week in and week out. And that's, that's going to be, you know, a physical challenge for all of these players this year. And then you, you particularly get a physical challenge uh, in an off season that has been disrupted at times for some and just not, not typical or, or definitely unusual. So certainly they haven't done as much hitting, even going back to the spring as you would, as you would ordinarily do in a typical season. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see not only how teams hold up physically this year, but you know, really what the, what the quality of play on the field this year is now, setting all those kind of variables and, and all that uh, kind of as a side, you know, I, I think there's, you know, a lot of top line talent in this league. Every, every team in the league, you know, has some, has some studs, you know, beyond Clemson and beyond Notre Dame, you know, Pittsburgh, I think, you know, and they lost their preseason all American nose tackle and Jalen Twyman, but their defense still looks really, really good. And is, is has, 
you know, some games under the belt. I really, really like their safety, Paris Ford. I think he's one of the top safeties in the ACC. You know, Patrick Jones and the defensive line is still there. Uh, DeMar Hamlin came back for a fifth year. He's still, <laughs> he's still floating around back there in the secondary. Um, you know, Duke has a very, very good edge rusher who's probably not much of a, a kept secret anymore in Chris Runk. Uh, he has, you know, potential day one or day two NFL talent. You know, Wake Forest has a really, really good defensive end in Boogie Basham. Uh, Boston College returns four out of five starters on their offensive line. Uh, they return a really, really good tight end, and they return and they obviously lost AJ Dillon to the NFL early last year. But you know they still have those big bruising tailbacks. David Bailey is is the guy that is going to be their starter going into the season. So you know, really from top to bottom, you know the top is obviously going to be you know the Clemson's of the world, and maybe a notch below them, Notre Dame, North Carolina. But you know, three, four through. 12, 13, they're all going to be they're all going to be challenging. You're really not going to get a week off this year, other than the two bye weeks that you have baked into the schedule. And you know, you hope that uh, contact tracing or, or otherwise doesn't uh, postpone a game into one of those off weeks because that could be a little problematic too, where you're you're starting to play a lot of games on top of one another, and you don't get that break that you'd hope to get. Nate, as I was going through your article today, and this occurred to me when the reformatted schedule came out, it hit me even more so as we start to learn about these teams and see what's on Syracuse's schedule. What really jumps out to me is they better take care of business at home. Yeah. And I, and I, and I don't think it's going to be that that easy. I mean, like I said, I mean, Duke... When they caught Duke at the end of at, you know in the middle of November last year, Duke Duke was banged up. Duke had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot. They had a long season. You know the Duke at the beginning of last year looked a lot different than the Duke that Syracuse licked, uh, you know, by forty points or whatever it was in November. You know, so they're they're going to be a challenge. Georgia Tech, you know, week three coming off a three and nine season last year. I think they're going to be better. You know, I don't know how that's going to translate in the wins-loss column, but they're recruiting at, at a at a good level right now. You know, Jeff Collins, I think, signed a top-five class in the ACC last year and hit the transfer market hard, brought in a five-star defensive lineman from Florida, brought in some offensive line help from Tennessee. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of a little bit of the approach that Maryland took uh, early in Mike Locksley's ten, tenure, you know, mining that transfer portal, bringing in some power five ready starters. So I think they're looking for some guys to plug some holes quickly and to accelerate that rebuild process that's, that's taking place there. But those are just, those are just two of the, the early games in the schedule. And then obviously in the back end, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to get maybe later in the year with Boston College and Wake Forest because of, of depth issues like you, you, you know, you've come to expect from, from those types of programs. But yeah, I mean, by no means is, is anything going to be easy, but you certainly have to feel good about the opponents you see coming to your place than the ones you're going to on the road to face. Nate Minks, our guest, Syracuse.com. Of course, follow him there in the uh, traditional way, the newspaper. Oh, yeah, we still print that thing. And online, of course, on Twitter, at MinkNate. So, Nate, there's a lot of interesting position groups, and we know about the new 3-3-5 defense and, and the, the kind of overlying storylines coming into the season, the offensive line. But an intriguing thing that has developed during camp here, and we haven't really got a clear answer on this, but maybe we're starting to get one. 
And that's the running back position. There's a possibility, it seems, that Abdul Adams and Jarvian Howard are not going to be on that opening day roster. We haven't seen them in photos. They haven't been talked about. They haven't been highlighted. When Coach Babers was asked about it earlier this week, he basically told our colleague Stephen Bailey, hey, go talk to them about it. So if we're in a world where maybe they opt out, what's that running back position look like? Who are the next men up? You're, you're certainly connecting a lot of dots there, <laughs> um, and, every, and everything you said is true. So I'm not I'm not going to refute anything that you said. If if they're not available, Brent, you know, I, you know, I think you look at I think you look at the the redshirt freshman uh, Jawar Jordan out from Arizona. You know, he he flashed back last year certainly in that Louisville game when he had over 200 yards on on just 12 touches. He's a, a multi-purpose guy. You know, Markenzie Pierre is is more of a veteran. Guy who's been in the room for a few years knows the offense, knows the system, uh, knows you know what is asked of that position certainly, um, and has has gotten on the field primarily in a special teams role, so he's at least been out there flying around. But those would those would be the two guys I start with, and then you know whether or not a freshman can pop, whether it's uh, Sean Tucker, whether it's another underclassman like uh, Cooper Lutz can pop. You know, that all kind of sorts itself out on the practice field, which, which obviously we're not privy to. But, um, you know, again, I would, I would kind, of, kind of preface all of that by saying that, you know, I think Dino wasn't lying when he said, you know, I think his team and a lot of other teams around the country are going to kind of play a lot of different pieces early in the season to figure out, you know, what exactly they have and, and who best fits where. And, uh, you know, a lot of that goes back to just the lack of practice time over the last six, seven months. Um, but a lot of it too is just again as, as guys continue to to uh, develop and uh, pick, you know rosters change just be based on who's who's in and who's out. Um, you know depth charts can change really on a week to week basis. Nate, one last thing for you, football wise here. Uh, look, it's a new defense. It's going to take time to implement one way or the other. But in getting the opportunity to talk to players and just everything we know to this point. What what do you feel is a fair expectation of of what this three three five can do early on? Like how effective it will be, and what the early approach has to be, considering uh, there, there's a lot to install there. But uh, they've got to play, and maybe it could be an advantage, you know, against North Carolina, Pittsburgh, some of these early games because they're seeing a, a new defense and a new approach while Syracuse is is trying to learn it. It's going to be an interesting balance there. Yeah, so so my read my read would be you know you have some some pretty exceptional athletes on the back end of this defense that quite frankly you haven't the, the the type of kids and the type of athletes that you haven't seen come through here in a really really long time um, and obviously that that's Cisco and that's Trill Williams and that's you know Ify Melifonu out at out at corner you know I, I think those those are really going to be you know the nucleus of what you're trying to get done I think. The key to this defense, though, Brent, is really going to be how they how play how they play and how strong they are up the middle. And to me, I don't I don't even look beyond. He now has changed his number to number zero, but McKinley Williams down at, at the nose tackle, much like last year, I think he's he's possibly their most valuable guy in there because if he's not in the equation, as we saw a year ago, uh, that really impacts your run defense um, and, you know, the second level of the defense with some of those linebackers that they have good size and, and they're certainly going to come, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time before they arrive. 
but I like what they have at that position. Um, I just think it might be a year or two away. Um, you know, that, that's, that's the middle of your defense. And if, and if teams can find balance on offense and if they can, if they can run the ball and they, have, and they don't have to put it up in the air and challenge Cisco and Iffy and Trill and they take those potential turnovers away, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a potential area to, to attack with this defense. So I think it's, it's really going to be incumbent on, you know, not only McKinley but Josh Black, Kingsley Jonathan, some of those depth guys like Curtis Harper and Cody Roscoe. Uh, Drew Tuizama, et cetera. You know they have to play well up front, like usual, and they and they gotta they gotta just make sure those linebackers and those defensive backs stay clean, and then the fundamental acuity on the back end of that in making sure those guys you know do their job and, and wrap up and tackle, because they're gonna have a lot of opportunities to make a one on one tackle. They have to tackle well. That that's really what I think is is gonna be the story for the defense this year. Um, I'd, I'd be surprised if they try to make it too complicated in year one, particularly given all the lost time that they've had, you know, in the spring and the summer. Um, we know this is going to be kind of a multi-year install process before this thing really flourishes to its full potential. Um, but I think they have some really nice-looking athletes in, in the back seven, um, you know, and, and those are going to be the guys that I think they count on to make plays and be the difference makers. All right, Nate, briefly before we go, let's review. Uh, we forgot to mention this. You have to put a rub on. Do you have a rub for the ribs? Do you have a spice rub? I I, I have a secret rub. Okay. I, I, it's from it's from West it's, it's uh, West Texas. Okay. It's called Judge's Choice. Uh, Game on. Uh, Very good. There might be <laughs> there might be some uh, there might be some some people over at Manly Fieldhouse whose who's, uh, ears just perked up when I when I dropped that, but. Uh, <laughs> I love but, it. Yeah, that's that's okay. my go-to rub. All right, so we got the rub, indirect heat, add the sauce. Let's let's meet in the middle. The last fifteen minutes, hour and a half, you'll be good. All right. I love it. Seven o'clock dinner. I can do that. You can do.